from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. On I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And as you can see, it's a gorgeous day here in Oregon, so I had to pull the computer outside and uh, just be outside for a little bit. And of course, if you're outside, you're supposed to be wearing a mask now. Well, actually... I've got an acre and a half of property and my nearest neighbors hundreds of feet away. So the heck with the mask. In fact, I think I'm even going to change the hats up a little bit. We'll get back to my old timber unity hat here. And uh, we can talk about masks later. In fact, we talked about them a little bit last, last week. Um, and it was kind of interesting because it was a day or two before they decided everybody should be wearing them. And now yesterday they announced you can't ride a bus here in Eugene Springfield without wearing a mask. So uh, it's just the the newest thing you see. And actually, a bandana will actually work. Um, It's not the best protection, but it's at least uh, what it does is it stops the velocity of whatever sneeze or cough or, you know, when you're speaking and you pop your peas, it kind of just keeps that stuff in close to your face instead of getting all the way out six to ten feet out away from you. So that's really, you know, what that mask is for is not so much to protect yourself as it is to protect other people. Other great thing about a mask, though, is, is it kind of reminds you not to touch your face, you know, because you go to touch your nose and your mouth, and there you go, there's a mask there. It kind of, it's like, ah, shouldn't be doing that. So it's a good thing to wear a mask. I've just been joined by the KRBN Internet Kitty. So it happens when you're doing live radio outside. The pets don't know the boundaries. And in fact, I think I'm hearing one of my other dogs coming up the road here. Uh, fortunately, my neighbor that's mowing the lawn, like I said, is several hundred feet away. So we're not listening to the lawnmower too badly. Lots to talk about on the Bose Nose Show. But this show is really about what you want to talk about. And all you have to do is call us at 646-721-9887 and just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. That's 646-721-9887. If you press 1, that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Had several callers last week. Seems like this COVID thing's got people shut up and, and looking for entertainment. So lo and behold, they're finding the Bose Nose Show. And uh, had some good long conversations on everything from capitalism uh, to uh, issues with with homelessness and, and COVID. So, uh, you know, give us a call here. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But I have a couple things I want to talk about today because I stirred up quite the controversy over on the Florence side of my district this weekend when I actually backed up what my public health professionals set as our policy for how we notify about positive COVID-19 tests. So our current policy is we either say it's somebody that was in the Eugene Springfield metro area, which is an area of about 50 to 60 square miles and 250,000 people roughly, or we say it's outside in rural Lane County, which is an area of, you know, over you know, 4,000 square miles just about, and about 100,000 population, a little bit more than 100,000. And people are kind of getting upset because they think we're favoring Eugene Springfield by making that differentiation. And it's really not that big of a, you know, when you think about it, we are announcing, you know, one person in a population 250,000 versus one person in a population that's basically half of that. Uh, So we're actually providing more notification for rural Lane County in some ways. But people want us to get down to name the town. Now, everybody knows that lives in rural Lane County knows that 
pretty much they get to be pretty small communities where everybody can pretty much figure out who people are. And if you were to name, say, the Benita Fern Ridge area, people can pretty quickly kind of narrow down maybe who might be that positive test case test. Uh, if you name the Florence area, not a whole lot different. In fact, Florence in some ways is a smaller, more gossipy town than than I've ever experienced, even though they're one of the greatest towns as far as things like having a, an awesome rotary, um, an incredible Elks Club. You know, people volunteer there like you wouldn't believe. But part of that community means they talk a lot, too. So uh, one of the things that our public health folks have to do is protect the privacy of patients. One, it's required by federal law under HIPAA. That's that big health act that was passed a few years back that requires all these privacy notifications. Remember when you started going to the doctor, they used to have to fill out all this stuff about whether they could disclose any of your information. Yeah, that started even before Obamacare. Um, that's HIPAA that's requiring those, those things where you actually have to sign something so your doctor can talk to your spouse, you know? Um, and that's part of what we're trying to adhere to, along with there's complementary laws that are Oregon statute around the fact that we can't disclose confidential information that's been given to us during the investigation of a contagious disease outbreak. So there's actually specific state statute around that. So, you know, our public health folks made the decision just to kind of break it down in these two broad regional descriptions so that people couldn't kind of drill down and figure out who we were talking about so we wouldn't violate these privacy laws. At the same time, it's really important when you're investigating a contagious disease outbreak to have the subjects of investigation be completely honest with the investigators. And if they feel like their identity is going to be released in their small town, Louis speaks, um, they, they won't necessarily always be honest. Because frankly, today, that coronavirus positive test has become like the scarlet letter. Suddenly, people will avoid you. Suddenly, they will treat you different. They will treat your family members different. If they know you have a business, they may stop going to your business. You know, you'd be surprised how it changes people's behavior. Um, so you know, we really want to protect those folks' privacy so that we get good data when we're asking people, where did you go? Who have you talked to? What time? What day? You know, as we try and track down possible contacts and, and then ask those people to self-isolate and try and control the spread of this disease. So that's kind of the decision they made. In other counties, they're not even giving out any information beyond we had another positive test. Um, that's what Douglas County's uh, uh, choice was and still is. Um, they had a recent positive test uh, on Monday and all they talked about was they had a positive test in Douglas County. They didn't say where it was. They didn't say whether it was a male or a female or how old the person was. We're at least describing male, female, and an age range typically. Part of the reason I think that's important is so people see that it doesn't matter how old you are. You can still get the virus. We've actually announced that we've had two cases of teenagers, a 16 and an 18-year-old. And if you look at the bell curve, of our exposures, it looks like the bell curve of our population age, you know, where we've got from teenagers to old people and in the middle ages of 40 to 50, that's our highest number of cases. So, um, you know, that we're releasing more information say than Douglas County is. So, you know, it's been a choice uh, to release the information the way we have because we think it's the most specific information we can release while protecting patient privacy and protecting the integrity of those uh, contagious disease outbreak investigations. And I know some people are really upset that we won't at least say, well, it's west of the tunnel or, or it's you know east of Pleasant Hill or something like that or south of Cresswell. The danger behind starting to get as specific as that. One, it starts to get into much smaller populations so people can start trying to do their own investigations to figure out who it is. 
And two, if we announce it's, say, uh, west of Pleasant Hill, is that going to mean that people in Florence can be relaxed and act like it's not in their community? Folks have to understand that in Lane County, we've only tested 2,000 people. Out of our population of 375,000 people, that's two-tenths of 1% of the population over the last month. Now, mind you, people we tested a month ago could have picked it up by now. So you, you probably only know that a certain number of people are not positive for the coronavirus, and yet there's 99.8% of the population out there that's had no test at all. And this particular disease has now been shown by studies that it's contagious several days before people show any symptoms at all, if they show symptoms. There's some people that never show symptoms. So why would it be important to know whether or not there's a positive case in your community when you should be assuming that there's a positive case in every community because we haven't done enough testing and we know that it's contagious before somebody becomes, you know, symptomatic, so they probably wouldn't get a test. So people are out there possibly transmitting this that don't know it. And our lack of testing means that we have no idea. So, you know, there's been more complaints about people that think they're symptomatic and can't get a test. So why in the world would it be important to understand whether or not it's in East Lane County or West Lane County or South Lane County or North Lane County, um, it's in Lane County. And you should be acting accordingly no matter where the test is. And you should depend on our folks that are, are the public health professionals that if somebody's been someplace where it's important to make an announcement like they did with that one church service when they found out somebody that had, had turned up positive for COVID-19 had actually attended a church service and they couldn't track everybody. They actually made a public announcement. They were looking for people that attended that particular service. You know, they know, they know when to make those sort of decisions of when they should be announcing that, you know, yes, there was somebody here. And, and what people want is they want to try and do their own investigation. And, and that's where things start getting a little hinky as far as privacy, as far as that scarlet letter issue goes. So, you know, I know people in Florence aren't happy. I understand it because this is really an emotional thing. You know, everybody wants to know and, and thinks that, and also they think there, there's a strong su suspicion in the community that there was a positive case there. And I can't confirm or deny that. And so they want to know for sure. You know, and all that's been based on rumors. And I, and I would just say, you know, relax, everybody. Assume there's a positive case in your community because we don't know. There's not enough testing. You should be wearing your mask and you should be taking your precautions, keeping your social distancing, limiting your trips from home. You know, the hand washing, don't touch your face. All that stuff is important. It's what's flattening the curve and may actually allow us to get past this peak and start reopening businesses in the future here and getting getting back to business and getting our economy rolling again because there's certainly a lot of damage being done economically in america right now and in oregon so i hope people can understand and, and i fully appreciate the um the emotion and the reason why people think they need to know, but we're actually barred from providing specific information about cases by federal law, by state law, and it also interferes with our capability to conduct a good investigation. So you know, it's in the best interest of the community to actually not reveal that information down to the locality. And if we were doing that and we hadn't identified any cases in your community, do you think that's going to help people be more cautious or less cautious? And what's, what's more important right now is for people to be cautious. So I, I think it's really, um, you know, I know people weren't happy and people think we're not being transparent, but I would go ahead and, uh, you know, if you, you want to 
talk about a little bit, give me a call here on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. You know, just press one so Robin knows you want to talk on the show. Again, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in and talk on the show. But that's, you know, I know it's been a bit of a controversy. Um, I was a little disappointed that the Sayusaw News chose to, to actually talk about a confirmed case uh, for eight paragraphs and then finally say that Lane County would not confirm it um, and then went on to talk about, you know, uh, an anonymous source that had identified this in the community. Um, that's not being very helpful. And in fact, I understand that there's a name being circulated in some internet um, uh, uh, social media in the Florence area. Um, and I, you know, based on a rumor. And I sure hope that that person uh, doesn't suffer any consequences from being uh, identified through rumors. But I think it's important that we try and maintain the integrity and privacy of these patients. <clears throat> that all said, you know, we've got all sorts of things we can keep talking about. One of the things I wanted to get to talk about last week, and we never got to because of all of our phone calls, was this whole idea of somehow or another mandating that landlords give everybody a holiday on their rent or, or, and banks give people holidays on their mortgage um, because of this COVID-19 crisis. And that's all fine and good, but there's this thing in our constitution about not taking things of value from citizens without compensation. So, you know, if we're going to do something like that, we need to be prepared with some kind of funding that's going to reimburse landlords for missed uh, lease payments on rental property and missed mortgage payments on bank uh, finance property. Because those landlords are still paying mortgages uh, on those properties. They're still paying electric bills. They're still paying tax bills. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, quite often their you know, landlords may not be just a landlord. They may be a business owner somewhere um, and be suffering in those cases too. Um, so I would hope that folks would understand if they're asking for some kind of, you know, we've already put in some, uh, a moratorium on evictions, uh, based on COVID-19 uh, folks, uh, that we also think that there, there should be some kind of compensation for property owners. And I know there's a really easy, you know, thing to think that all landlords are evil and greedy, and that's why rents and, and property are so expensive, but we've talked about this in the past on the Bose Nose Show. Government actions actually have more to do with why rent and home prices are so high here in Oregon. We have chosen to limit the supply of housing in this state to regulation. And supply and demand, you know, that old equation and price hasn't gone away. So it's not the landlords that are greedy. It's the government that's actually causing this problem with our housing shortage. So, uh, you know, It'd be great if we could figure out a way to increase the supply of housing. But putting on a rent holiday and a mortgage holiday of some kind without compensating the actual owners of the property or the holders of the mortgage, that's only going to make things worse here in Oregon. Who in the world would want to build a new uh, apartment complex knowing that our government would be willing to take money out of their pocket in that way? And, and I'm quite sure there'll probably be a court case about that if they ever tried to do that. I'm pretty sure there may even be court cases about this eviction moratorium if they don't provide some kind of compensation to landlords. So, you know, that that's really, you know, if if they really wanted to do something, the, the Oregon government about, you know, rent and all that stuff, maybe they should start with property taxes. Maybe they should think about a property tax holiday and then allow that to be passed on to tenants and all. <laughs> so, you know, let, let's 
think about that first, you know, because that's really under the control of the government. That's not taking somebody else's property and giving it to somebody else. Last time I heard when you take something without, you know, compensating somebody and then give it to somebody else, that's called theft. You know? So, oh, my. My my producer is trying to crack me up. On, uh, we have a separate camera, and she's off camera trying to crack me up a little bit. She has the most wonderful mask for when she goes outside. And it's pretty funny. I've seen, I saw some posts on, on, on the Internet about various masks people have been wearing. I saw one where somebody had made a cone out of a, out of a thing of uh, newspaper and had, had it rubber banded around the back of their head. <laughs> it was pretty funny looking. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I've seen some, you know, a, a, you know Robin's got a, a, a Halloween, a full head Halloween mask. It's a, a horse head. Uh, it's pretty funny. And, and uh, I also saw a unicorn uh, in, in a, in a Walmart, you know, it's it's some of it's it's like the Walmart people with face masks instead. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny what we're seeing some people wearing. Um, so, but yeah, really, there's some simple things about face masks. If you ever want to find out, the CDC has has a link that can show you what what works and what doesn't work, what's effective, how to make your own homemade face mask. It's really pretty simple. Just need a piece of cloth you can fold over, you know, two to four times. Four layers are the best. If you can stick a layer, you know, what's really good is if you can stick a, take a new vacuum cleaner bag and cut up, a, cut a square out of it and stick that in your mask in between a couple layers of cloth. That vacuum cleaner bag is actually one of the best filters you have in your house. And if you can pleat it a little bit so you get a little bit more uh, surface area to breathe through, it makes it a little bit easier for the air to pass back and forth. Don't use a dirty vacuum cleaner bag. Speaking of that, my what were they thinking for the day? And, and you know, Robin's scrambling to throw up the the, the, the famous what, what 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 were they thinking logo. But I don't know if anyone saw the picture that went along with the daily briefing from our Lane County um, team today. But it was a photo from the Metro Waste Metropolitan Wastewater Commission, uh, where they had pulled one of the pumps from their pump station. And it was completely clogged with Clorox wipes all up and down the pump shaft and in the pump inlet. Now, mind you, those pumps are designed to pass a three-inch solid rubber ball. That's how they test them. You know, in, in, the, in the fluid stream, they're, they, they're designed to pass a three-inch solid. And those damn Clorox things can clog those things up because they catch and because they're fabric, they spin around the shaft and get caught on the shaft. And they're having to pull pumps out of pump stations and clear them. You know, during this whole COVID-19 crisis, you guys are going to shut down the sewer system because you don't know that you shouldn't flush a damn Clorox wipe or baby wipe, you know, or the damn disposable diapers. Those don't go in the toilet either. The only thing that's supposed to go in the toilet is toilet paper. All right? <laughs> as somebody that used to, you know, as a civil engineer, spent enough time around sewer systems and sewage treatment plants, you'd be amazed what shows up in those things. Um, you ever want another sidebar? You ever want to see something interesting? Go to the, the Springfield Library building, and they've got a, a collage up there that's set in concrete. And it was done by a treatment plant operator when Springfield used to have their own treatment plant before they joined and, and they built the tri new treatment plant down by uh, Beltline off of River Avenue. It was all the stuff he collected out of the, off the screens before they get caught in, in all the machinery. Everything from pennies and marbles and you name it. <laughs> Imagine some of its toddlers that are flushing this stuff, but it's this huge collage. And it's actually the Springfield uh, city seal that he made out of this, this great big thing of, uh, you know, with all the stuff that came down the, uh, the toilets there. Don't be one of them. Don't be a COVID idiot. Don't flush your Clorox wipes. And if, if you're curious, you know, you can go to uh, the Lane County's 
COVID site and click on today's briefing you know, summary, and uh, there's a link to the MWMC photograph. And you can see right there how clogged up that pump is with all those wipes. So um, sidebar, what were you thinking when you flushed that down the toilet? Do those Clorox wipes look like they're, they're going to dissolve in water at all or be, be something that is going to compost in a sewage treatment system? Don't they kind of look like they're synthetic? <laughs> they go in the trash. Once you finish wiping your counters off and your mail and whatever fruit, you know, depending on how paranoid you are, you know, your shoes when you walk in, I, whatever it is, throw the wipe in the trash, not the toilet. All right. What were you thinking is over with. That was a sidebar. Hadn't even planned that one. Just came to mind. But it kind of, you know, kind of goes along with what, what are some of these folks in government thinking when they're talking about taking away something from somebody and giving it to somebody else and not compensating people. It's the very definition of theft. And, and it's unconstitutional under the U.S. Constitution. So if the state of Oregon does that, and I know people have been asking the county to do it, and my response has been, we, we don't have that power because the Constitution bars us from doing that. And we don't have the revenue source or any sort of funding to compensate people. So there's no way we can give any sort of, at the county level, any sort of rent holiday declaration or mortgage uh, relief in that way. We just don't have the funds. We have to be able to compensate the mortgage holders or the property owners if we're going to do that. So somebody's got to provide us funding for that. And we, we just don't have it. I mean, we've talked about the lack of funding for Lane County here on the Bose Nose Show. We've talked about how we really should be getting our federal forest contributing. And now that you think about what's going to be happening with the state uh, budget with no one working and our state's highly dependent on income tax, um, it would be really nice if we could get our ONC timberlands that the federal government owns, um, 2.1 million acres in this state, working and producing revenue for our local governments the way they should be. But unfortunately, our county commissioners, our new progressive majority, pulled us out of the one association that was fighting to get those lands producing again, the ONC Counties Association. So, you know, we need to get back in that association. We need to be fighting to make those lands productive and contributing because we need the revenue. We had that revenue, we could be more helpful during this COVID-19 crisis. So I'm gonna pause for a minute and remind folks that we'll talk about whatever you wanna talk about on the Bose Nose Show. Just give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one that lets us know you wanna get in on the conversation because we actually had somebody call last week that just wanted to listen. So remember, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one to get into the show here. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. So I did say I had a couple other non-COVID topics I could talk about here. And we did actually handle some non-COVID um, issues on, at our board meetings because the world's still going on. <laughs> There's still things we have to keep doing uh, as a government. In fact, you know, we're planning budget right now. We have to adopt a budget by June 1st. So we've got folks that are working hard on the financial side trying to guess what's going to happen to our revenue post-COVID-19 and, and how we're going to budget for that. But we, are, we did have a conversation that was a follow-up to something we've been talking about for a couple years now. And that's what to do about local access roads here in Lane County. And local access roads are roads that are open to the public, but were never, they, they, they're dedicated for public use, but were never accepted into the county road system as a county road, and are generally not built to county standards, and are assumed to be maintained by the adjoining property owners. They're supposed to be local access only. You know, so usually it's a, a gravel road that accesses five or six properties and everybody pitches in once a year to put some new gravel and have a, somebody come out and grade the road or something like that. 
some cases it's a lot more and and in some cases uh you know through you know historical um mistakes etc we've actually allowed some of them to get to have a couple hundred people on them and it got to be such an issue that we actually took one into county maintenance that had been a local access road forever uh down where we took in collard lake road in the florence area that had uh over uh several hundred houses off of it and uh and was several miles long and, and that really needed to be a county roadway but what about the rest of those so we tried to take a look at, at maybe the top uh, for the number of people living on them and number and traffic and see what it would take basically to maybe at least bring the pavement up to a good standard. And it was just, we were only dealing with paved local access roads. So we did a survey and looked at the top 40 for traffic and number of properties and, and length were some of the variables we separated that by because there's about 700 of these in the county. And to just bring those roads pavement up to a good condition, the estimate was $2.3 million. And we just don't have $2.3 million in our budget to do that. So we kind of made a decision that we're not going to start trying to maintain all of them. There may be some exceptions that come up in the future. But what we did decide was we're not going to allow the creation of new local access roads without the establishment of maintenance agreements for the properties that they're going to serve so that as people live on these they understand the obligation to maintain them so it's just a it you know that was one of the decisions we made on tuesday the second one is we're going to try and start recording um documents and land records that notify folks when they buy a property that they're buying a property on a local access road that is not under county maintenance and they're going to have to maintain their frontage of that local access road and contribute to the, the joint maintenance of it because um, part of the problem is is quite often people buy a property because it's cheaper on a local access road because you don't have a county maintained road in front of you um, thinking they're getting a bargain and then realize when they get a letter from their neighbors saying we want a hundred bucks from everybody uh, to put some gravel on the road before winter um, they're surprised they, you know, why won't the county do that you know it, it shows like it's a public road on, on the tax maps uh, it's not a public road it's a local access road um, it's it the public can travel on it that's what allows UPS to deliver your your package um, but it's a local access road that you have to maintain. So we took some actions around that and made a decision not to start trying to upgrade paving on them uh, wholesale. Uh, and that's kind of where we are with local access roads at this time. Uh, and then we had another item we talked about in the afternoon, which was redistricting that, you know, we're still in the middle of the census. Uh, people are going to start getting paper forms if they didn't fill it out online. And I can't encourage people strongly enough to respond to the census and fill it out. Federal funding is distributed to states and localities based on population quite often. And if we undercount Oregon, we're going to just be sending our money to someplace like New York or Florida that counted more carefully. So please fill out your census form and and get that into the census department and you know it's easy to do online they're going to be sending out paper copies to people that didn't do the online survey um, but that's still going to happen and we're we're going to be required next year after that data comes back out from the federal government to redistrict and reapportion the county commissioners districts of to be of equal population with each other and also to you know be generally compact and there's a whole bunch of other criteria we have to follow under state law and that's coming up and we have to start preparing for that so it's just one of those things we can't ignore during COVID-19 and one of the things that's really important though is it's become apparent that there's been such finagling about districts across the country 
whether it was some of the Republican work in North Carolina or the Democrat work right here in Oregon to make weird shaped districts to try and, you know, help one party over another. Um, it's put a lot of distrust in the whole redistricting process. And when you think about it, it's elected officials choosing who their voters are going to be. If it's the elected officials that do the redistricting and currently under our Lane County charter, we are the decision makers in the redistricting. So we are going to be choosing our own voters. So you have to think about that. You know, do you want your elected government officials and do you trust them to redraw the districts when they're actually choosing their own voters? So I've been proposing, and it's actually a proposal that the League of Women Voters, who I don't normally side with all the time, has supported, that we should uh, put a charter amendment out and find a way to have a separate in independently chosen committee that is balanced by party um, and uh, and geographically in several other ways um, draw those district boundaries in accordance to the standards that have been set forth under case law and and federal law and state law when it comes to how districts are supposed to be drawn and uh, that will take time to set up to prepare a charter amendment and put it on the ballot. In fact, you know, what we would hope to do is put it on the ballot next November so it would get voted on and then be in effect for the redistricting the following spring. So the deadline to put something on the ballot, if the commissioners put it on the ballot, is in August. So that's why we're starting to talk about redistricting now in April because we're going to have to do a lot of work to get a, the ballot language together, get it tested with legal counsel, have opportunity for folks to object and, and, and go through the courts uh, prior to being placed on the ballot. So it's really um, something we have to start working on now. And kind of the system I, I'd like to see happen is um, to have retired judges and other elected officials that had to get elected countywide uh, in Lane County, which is sheriffs, DAs, and assessors, and judges. They've all had to, to be elected by a countywide vote. That those folks be eligible to be on the committee that then selects the citizen members that apply to be on the redistricting committee. So first you go to the level of retired people that had countywide elected office as, as the people that are then going to select citizens that apply and they're going to be selected where we get like say three democrats three republicans and three nonpartisans um, that that have to be put on the committee some kind of balance like that and uh having that set up and then it goes all the data for the census goes to that committee they figure out you know uh, population balanced districts um, so there's equal representation involved do all the stuff about trying to keep the, the communities of interest together and geographic boundaries and all the things that are important in trying to redistrict and then have them have the ability to put forward for a clear up and down vote of the commissioners or even not even have the commissioners once it's approved by them and maybe um, the, the committee of the retired judges somehow or another just have it because, you know, be law where we aren't involved in the drawing of the districts at all. Because the last several times we've drawn districts in this county, it's become hugely controversial. It's passed the boards on three, two votes, you know, and no one's been happy. You know, I thought we did a really good job last time. We were we fixed some problems with the previous districts and put, you know, Springfield representing Springfield instead of having Eugene neighborhoods in the Springfield district, um, you know, didn't have west of Walton in East Lane County, uh, you know, followed rivers, followed highways, did, you know, did everything we thought we were supposed to do. And people were still unhappy with that redistricting, mostly because 
they felt like there was some self-interest in it because it was drawn by the elected officials. So what I'd really like to do is get to a point where our redistricting is actually happening by this independent committee that is appointed by retired countywide elected officials and removes us from the process. So we're not selecting our own voters. So hopefully that explains why we're talking about redistricting in the middle of a pandemic because of the timing that's involved to try and get all that done before we actually have to make those decisions. Be surprised how much of my job is trying to think backwards on the calendar of when we actually have to start things to make sure we don't miss a deadline. Because quite often when you're talking about things that have to go through the election processes and all that, you have to start the process sometimes a year in advance to make sure you hit all the proper deadlines to get into an election. And then to have something be uh, applying in time to actually count when you need it to. It won't do us any good to approve a charter amendment next May because it wouldn't become effective for 45 days and we probably have to have a redistricting done before that. So we really need to have it on the, the November 2020 ballot to have it ready for our redistricting in the spring. So run through a bunch of topics here on the Bose Nose Show. And like I said, I like to talk about what you want to talk about. 646-721-9887. You just press one to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. And that lets Robin, my call screener producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So we can get into some other topics on the Bose Nose Show. You know, that Bernie announced he's suspending his campaign today. Uh, oil prices went up, so the stock market jumped 800 points. You know, do you think, when do you think we're actually going to start to be able to go to restaurants again? Yeah. Whatever you want to talk about here on the Bose No Show, 646-721-9887. Just press one. So, Robin, what what's on your mind today? Because I'm kind of curious. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I, I I keep getting brought a ball during the Bose Nose show here. That's what, one of the problems about being outside. I just have to you know have to understand. I have this one poodle. Oops, okay, she's moving around, but she's very focused. I don't know if anyone else has a dog that's as, as ball crazy as mine, but she is definitely, um, it's all about the ball. She care less about me. <laughs> so what's on your mind, Robin? Well, one thing we've had uh, quite a few people that have been checking us out live. And I know sometimes it gets a little bit nervous to give a talk show a call and, but if this is a good form to do it, you know, give us a call, people, 646-721-9887. And uh, it's a good opportunity to talk to Jay about this or anything else, price of gas or poodles. Yeah. Not the price of poodles, but poodles. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was telling Robin before the show, I'm watching a lot of my neighbors and their yards are looking nicer and nicer as they're staying home and, and to stay safe. They're, they're getting a lot of the, the honeydew list done and getting projects done around the house. Well, in my case, my wife's business is here on our property, and our bookkeeper and circulation manager chose to decide to stay home once this whole thing started. Uh, It was his decision, and I have been functioning as the bookkeeper because, you know, pretty hard to bring somebody on in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm also still a county commissioner, so I don't know how well it shows up, but my grass is about a foot long and none of my projects are getting done around the house because I'm basically doing, you know, working either as a commissioner or as, as the bookkeeper, uh, for the business from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed (laughs) And, and, and seven days a week. So 
for all you folks that are managing to make your houses look great, I salute you. But I'm probably, you know, I, I imagine as you go around uh, on your walks, maybe you know, while you're social distancing and wearing your mask, um, that you look around and see which yards are looking great and which yards aren't. And my guess is those yards that aren't are either somebody like me that's doing double duty or possibly it might be somebody in the medical field that's having to stay away from their, their family because they're, they don't want to expose them. They might be living in a hotel room and, you know, the wife might be home with the kids and there's just not, you know, a lot of ability to get some of that yard work done. And it might be an opportunity for you or maybe your teenagers to, you know, you know, leave a note somehow or another keeping your social distance or something like that with your phone number and ask them if they'd like some help getting their lawn mode or something like that and providing that service maybe to a family that isn't able to do it because they're having to either socially isolate uh, a family member that's a medical professional or for some other reason, you know, kind of like my craziness, although I'm not expecting anybody to come mow my lawn. I actually contacted the yard service. So I'm trying to keep the economy going uh, here. But just, you know, if you walk around and see that long, long, shaggy lawn and everybody else is actually getting, you know, they're starting to really look good. And they've been been to Jerry's and gotten their spring plantings in and everything else because they've got their they're they're having, you know, they were a restaurant worker that's now been laid off. Or whatever, and they've got the extra time. But, you know, when you see that lawn, it's getting long. It might be a, a sign that somebody might need some help. And, and it might be an opportunity if you're a neighbor or something like that to make that offer to them. You know, during these times, if, if nothing else, the phone call and meeting a neighbor and getting that connection helps fight the isolation uh, of this COVID-19 pandemic. So just a thought, you see that long, shaggy lawn in your neighborhood, you know, drop a note in the mailbox or on the front step or something like that. Uh, you know, wear, wear a glove or wipe it down before you leave it there so you're not spreading any disease and uh, with your phone number and, and connect with that person. See if they need some help, um, particularly if you've got some bored teenage boys <laughs> that maybe are looking to earn some extra cash or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, nothing like a little hard work to, to, to get rid of some boredom and some energy. So say is thank God for the internet. Yeah, thank God for the internet. Yeah, can you imagine what it was like during the Spanish flu? There are no telephones or very few at that time. There is very little electrification of the of the country. And they basically did the same thing. They shut down churches and everything in cities, you know, and the cities that didn't do it had the worst cases, you know, had the worst death rates. Uh, Baltimore didn't, didn't shut down and they had a horrible problem with Spanish flu. Um, but can you imagine what it'd be like to be home with a pair of teenagers for weeks on end during the Spanish flu in 1918? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to break some news to some people. And this is going to be a real shock, especially to millennials. There was a time when people didn't have cell phones. <laughs> I remember when your phones had cords on them and, and, and you had, and you, yeah. And you <laughs> showing me on her webcam, her phone with a cord. Um, I remember, you know, my, and there wasn't a phone in everybody's room in our house. We had one common phone in the hallway in the, in the hall where, where the bedrooms for all the kids were. And if, if you stretched it really far, you could get into my sister's room and close the door so you could sort of have a private conversation with your girlfriend. Of course, that told all your siblings that's what you were doing. Right. So you caught crap for it anyway, especially from your older brothers. <clears throat> and, of course, the younger siblings, too. So, yeah, you know, the day and an age of cell phones. Yeah, I remember those long cords. <laughs> and my mom had one in the kitchen that had to be 30 feet long so she could walk around the kitchen with the, with the phone under her chin. Cause you know, she had five kids, so she couldn't stop talking, stop doing all the stuff she had to do to keep the kids fed and everything else around the house. And she, you know, use that phone so much that, you know, the cord would get all kinked. <laughs> yeah. 
she'd have to, have to drop it on the floor and, you know, pick it up, you know, and the phone would be spinning around and around and around and around. <laughs> what I miss is that. Honey, let the answer machine get it. See if we want to answer it. I remember when there weren't answering machines, too. Now I'm really showing my age. <laughs> I remember when phone numbers started with two letters. Yeah. Oliver 6, Empire 5, you know, you know, when they actually had a name, and Oliver was for OL6 or EM5, you know, and, and you know, that was that was the early version of texting. <laughs> yeah. And you want to make a long-distance phone call, you either dial 04 operator or you dial 1010-321 plus the phone number and area code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, we're really showing our age a little bit. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, I still remember getting sugar cubes for polio and all that. And I do, and, you know, people talk about past uh, epidemics and pandemics. Um, I remember having kids in my class that had had uh, handicaps, uh, damaged, you know, limbs that, that didn't work properly as a result of having a polio infection as, as, as a younger child. So um, now, you know, now the kids now are going to remember this and remember that, you know, having to be shut in and they're, they're going to be 40 years from now, they're going to be going, yeah, I remember in 2020 when we had to stay home and, you know, I almost got all the way through all my shows binge watching. You know, it was a good thing they lifted it because they, you know, they were running out. They couldn't make new shows because that would have violated social distancing. You know, <laughs> I'm waiting for them to, you know, how are they going to do things like American Idol and stuff like that? You know, if they have to, if they get past this season of all these shows that have been pre pre-recorded, you know, what's going to happen in America? <laughs> Oh yeah, but yeah, you know, you know, there's enough out there on the internet though that you would have to really be starved for entertainment and watching 24/7 to get through all the good shows out there. You know, it, it's pretty amazing how much is really out there to be watched. You know, I was just picturing either a TV show or a movie with social distancing where people can't get close, so they have to yell at each other. <laughs> well, that wasn't that the you know. Uh, Archie Bunker and Edith, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, geez, Edith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it's even, you know, uh, what's, that, uh, what's that show that's going off the air this week? Um, with the, the, you know, yay! <laughs> what's her name? Uh, oh, God. Gloria yeah, yeah, is the character in the show. But <laughs> they're always yelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most sitcoms seem to be yelling. I don't know what's about what, how that happens. Uh, I think hard of hearing. Yeah, I think that's the average American family. You know, is they're, they're yelling. You know, <laughs> go get your brother for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to figure too that uh, in the 21st century, you can't have like all in the family and everything that they were saying. Yeah. 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 But. Uh, I, I still notice there's some people that are still checking us out. we got five minutes uh, in the program. We can go long if you have a good topic. Give us a call. Jay is, well, he's sitting by, but uh, he'll stand for you if you'd like. 646-721-9887. Yep. Just got the whole, whole poodles up here. Elizabeth's coming up from the, from the office. She's making her commute. It's all of about 150 feet. <laughs> But all, all it, I tell you, it can be a really difficult commute because the poodles create a traffic jam in front of you on the path. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed how dogs think they know where you're going. You know, it's just it's something about dogs. You know, it's like they they walk in front of you and then they stop because they really don't. And look, you know, and, and it's like so. And, and generally, as we go back and forth between the office and, and the house, we always seem to have something in our arms because you know. Like I said, we work just about 24/7, so we're carrying computers, laptops back and forth up that path, and you know, coffee cups and whatever else. So we may not see the dog stop in front of us, <laughs> and that's when we have the wreck on the way to work uh, here at, at, at the Bozovich Poodle Ranch. Um, <laughs> you know, so so there's even hazards to having you know home office on the property if you have four standard poodles. 
there can be traffic jams. In COVID-19, that's today's traffic jam. I, I do get off the property, you know, a couple times a week because I'm the one that actually picks up the mail out of the post office for the business and does the mailing with the post office. So I get to go the actual two-mile round trip down to the post office and back here in beautiful downtown Elmira. And, uh, you know, that I've noticed that Territorial Highway, which goes is the road we take to get to the post office, has been virtually empty, you know, at at all times of the day. Um, and, and a couple times I've actually run into town uh, to take care of some items. Uh, it's been a pretty amazing how little traffic there is. I imagine the, the truck drivers that are actually keeping us in food and other supplies. And I just like to big shout out to the truck drivers out there. Um, you know, they're probably wishing we would stay in, in stay at home stuff because they're probably having the, the best driving they've ever had in their life. Um, you know, as, uh, Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> as far as drivers go and not having a lot of the public out there on the highways. Now this is service and this is, you know, it is almost five o'clock here on the West coast and Elizabeth just brought me my evening libation uh, as, as we kind of start to wind down from our day before I go back inside and start getting back to work on other stuff, but uh, stuff that I can do after having an adult beverage. And Bill London, if you're, if you're listening or watching, this morning you were proposing that instead of your bacon, bourbon, and beer uh, that you're not allowed to have because um, of the COVID-19 thing, uh, you know, with, with, with KPNW there, you were going to have a virtual party of scotch, jerky, and chocolate. I'm at least doing the scotch part tonight. So cheers to everybody. Hope you're staying safe here during this COVID-19. I'm going, going to do my best imitation of, uh, of um, oh, God, what? Now I'm having name Nija, the guy on The Voice. <laughs> Except for he always hides his in a cup. Blake Shelton. Thank you, Elizabeth. I don't know if you can see Elizabeth is now being occupied by Poodle. You mean buried by Poodle. <laughs> Somewhere down there is your wife. Yeah. yeah as, as we have Occupy Poodle here on the Poodle Ranch. Um yeah, you you heard about Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Medical. That was Occupy Poodle. <laughs> and, uh, we digress here on the Bose Nose Show. See what happens when people don't call in and give me a co- topic. <laughs> we talk about scotch. We talk about poodles. We talk about poodle traffic jams. Um, but, you know, it's anything you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. So, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week our usual time, four o'clock here on the internet as folks continue to stay home and stay safe. Again, I can't say this enough. Assume COVID-19 is in your community. We have tested less than a half percent of the people in Oregon. We've tested less than two tenths of a percent of the people here in Lane County. And this is in general across the entire United States and even across the world, there has not been significant deep testing in populations yet. Assume it's in your community and behave accordingly. Because we need to kind of flatten the curve, get past this first wave to where we're building some herd immunity and determining whether there truly is herd immunity with this disease. Where we're actually doing some great research right now on possible vaccinations we're starting to see whether some treatments actually have real dependable results. And we start to get a handle on what the actual mortality rate of this disease is and whether or not we can relax some of these uh, precautions. Until then, we need to cut the transmission rate down and we need to stay home and stay safe. So assume it's in your community, stay home, stay safe, have a great week. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening.
know you're off the game. And I turned it towards you when he was completely in front of you, and and Piper was there too. We are here. All right. So, how badly do they cut your hours back at Pearl Buck? Uh, 